All right, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Today we as a church in the global sense, uh, we set aside to remember those lost to abortion each year. It was started in 1984 by Ronald Reagan on the anniversary of the 1973 Roe v. Wade case that made abortion legal across the United States. It's to remember the lives lost, to celebrate the lives that we've gained, and to commit ourselves to, pray, to protecting lives, specifically the lives of the not yet born. So we're going to start by praying this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for the babies that we have as church has been, have been able to receive this past year. And we thank you for Magnolia, for little Bella, and for Daisy. We thank you for blessing us with life, and we thank you for continuing to grow us through the lives of our little ones. Lord, I pray for the future little ones that will be in our care, um, whether through birth or moving in. We, we pray for those children um, as we don't yet see them, and we pray for the children that we already have in our care. We pray for those uh, that lost their lives to abortion this year. We pray for the 125,000 uh, babies every day worldwide that are aborted, that are killed um, by the hands of their fellow man. We pray for the mothers that have empty arms um, that are now suffering. Uh, we pray for them as they go through um, the anxiety, the depression, um, the trauma that they're experiencing because uh, they were told it was going to be a quick fix, an easy thing. Lord, we pray for the people of God to stand firm in this face of evil in our country and in our world. We pray that you would help us to find ways to help the hurting and help us to find ways to save the next generation of children who may or may not be born. Lord, we thank you for your provision for us. We thank you for all the lives that you've saved um, up to this point, and we ask that you continue to, to open our eyes to what we're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so we're going to get to statistical specifics later. Um, today I am preaching to the choir. Uh, the Bible calls that edification and exhortation. Totally effective things. Um, we, we're going to start by reading in Leviticus chapter 8. Um, so if you all turn there. Some of you are probably confused that I'm asking you to turn to Leviticus. Um, if you're not confused, you probably haven't read Leviticus. All right, so Leviticus in Hebrew is actually titled the Vayikra, which is the first words of the first passage, which is Adonai called. Uh, this third book of Moses is often referred to as the Torah Kohanim, meaning the instructions of the priest. The contents of this book happen somewhere between 1446 B.C. and 1445 B.C., um, after God had brought Israel out of Egypt. As Protestants, we sometimes like to forget the Old Testament, but we can see the shadows of the cross across the entire thing. Um, the key themes in the book of Leviticus are holiness, sacrifice, atonement, priesthood, and redemption. And that certainly sounds like the Christian story to me. So I have a hard time deciding where to start. So we're going to start at verse 30. Um, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments, as well as on his sons and their garments. In this way, he consecrated, consecrate means to make holy or sacred, as well as his sons in their garments. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the meat at the entrance at the tent of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket for the ordination offering as I commanded. Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Burn up what remains of the meat and the bread. Don't go outside the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the time of your days of ordination is completed, because it will take seven days to ordain you. 
The Lord commanded what has been done today in order to make atonement for you. You must remain in the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the Lord's charge so that you will not die. For that is what I have commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. Now, it's important when we dive into symbolism not to get lost in the weeds. God is like a shamrock. God is not a shamrock. Um, We also have to accept the shadows that we see are not clear, vivid pictures. The imagery of Christian life as a race doesn't represent be still and know that I'm God. So there are always going to be some limitations. So this image of priests sleeping in the doorway is going to have its limitations, but we're going to look at it for what it is and see how the shadows can imprint on our lives. We see these first priests of Israel having been dressed in some very interesting outfits for the occasion. Um, One of the interesting things about being a homeschool mom is I get to, like, dive into these Bible studies with the kids and learn with them. And so we went through the book of Leviticus a few years ago and went through all the priestly garments. And it was actually very enlightening for me. Um, So they made a sacrifice on the altar. The altar is sprinkled with oil. Um, a sin offering's made, a burnt offering's made, a ram of consecration is offered, which involved putting blood on their ears, thumbs, and big toes. Um, <laughs> now, the sin to be priests are sprinkled with oil, they're splattered with blood, and they're told to eat and sleep in a doorway for a week. So, what on earth would be the point? <laughs> well, it's not a strange hazing ritual. It isn't just a test of obedience, though it does require that. It's a shadow of the bigger things that are to come. Throughout the Bible, we see these symbols recur. The symbols themselves aren't the things. They just point us to the, our, th- our eyes to the things of God. Water is the symbol for becoming clean, for renewing, for new life. Uh, oil is the Holy Spirit. You know, when you anoint with oil, you're putting the Spirit of God on someone. Um, the, the word in Hebrew, anoint, actually, the word Holy Spirit is actually part of the word anoint in Hebrew. Blood symbolizes atonement, for the wages of sin is death. Sin always brings death. The ancient Israelites would see those blood stains everywhere. They knew sin brings death. In Romans chapter 8, we read in verses 1 through 4, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned the flesh by sending his own son to walk in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Sacrificing bulls, goats, and pigeons wasn't ever going to redeem anyone. It is through Jesus that we find ourselves free. That does not mean the law is worthless. Now we see through a window clearly, but when we look back, we can see the shadow of what the cross did on those Levitical priests and all their sacrifices. This is a picture of the temple, just to give you an idea of kind of what we're talking about here. Um, The tabernacle, you see the tents of the people around it, and then there's a big inner tent, and then the center tent is the Holy of Holies, and the flame represents where God is. It's an artistic representation. Um, I'm more of an artistic person, so I like that. Anyway, so what does this have to do with any of us? If we look at 2 Peter chapter 2, starting verse 2, it says, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the words so that you may grow up into your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected 
by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Skipping to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So I'm not going to talk about the significance of stones to the Israelites or the house metaphor. We're still looking at the priesthood and the doorway. We're going to stick there. Um, So you and me, we are now priests. People called out by God to proclaim his praise. People have received mercy. So now I'm going to look at Hebrews, because Hebrews very much parallels Leviticus. Hebrews was a book, the purpose was to confirm for the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. So in chapter 4 of the book, the author talks about Jesus being the high priest, an image that we're all familiar with. Even if we don't acknowledge our own priesthood, we all kind of know the image of Jesus is our high priest. Um, Chapter 10 tells us, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, the reality of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifice they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped offering since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of the sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away your sin. Skipping to verse 11, it says, Every priest stands by day and day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit testifies to us about this, for he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I'll put my laws in their hearts and write them on on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. We see that now as his high priest, we're no longer splattering blood of animals on our clothes. Um, Now we have his spirit on us, the spirit of God on us like oil, and the blood of the lamb splattered across our lives. Side note, as a mom, oil and blood both stain, both staining things. <laughs> so we should forever be stained by these things, those images, the oil, the blood. Those are things that should stain us. It should be evident that God, this, those stains are on us. For those priests and the Levitical priests, those stains were not going to go away. They didn't have Dawn dish soap back then to get the oil out. It was going to stain. People should be able to see the spirit and the blood on our lives. Um, keep focusing on the doorway, though. So Aaron and his sons, this is a drawing. But you can see they're dressed differently, sprinkled with oil, splattered with blood, and now they're told to sit in a doorway. They can't yet go into the place where God is. They aren't quite ready yet. But they can't go back home because they've been called out and set apart. Like Aaron, we find ourselves in this unusual spot. We find ourselves a stained priest in this doorway between heaven and earth. We can't go back home. It isn't home anymore. We can't press into heaven because it isn't time yet. So what can we do? What do we do while we spend the rest of our earthly lives in this doorway between heaven and earth? Well, 
we do what priests do. If we go back to Leviticus chapter 9, we see what priests do. In verse 7, Moses says to Aaron, Approach the altar, sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering. Make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the people's offering, make atonement for them, as the Lord commanded. A priest doesn't simply doesn't exist simply to atone for his own sins. He's there to make sacrifices for the people. The priest is a bridge between heaven and earth. He's a bridge between the people and the throne of God. He intercedes. He's the go-between. He doesn't hide himself in that holiest of holies and never seek, never peek out into the world again. He doesn't go back out into the world and never, and never seek God again. He is the go-between. He's always in the doorway. So here we are in this doorway. We could keep our heads in heaven and be no earthly good, or we could turn and face the world and our culture. And from our new perspective, we look out at the world, and it looks quite apocalyptic. People are tearing themselves apart. People are tearing other people apart. It seems like no one can quickly can find the quickest way to damn their souls the fastest. And here we are, their only hope. Somehow it's our job to show them Jesus. Somehow it's our job to try to get as many of these people through this doorway with us. And we remember the verse that we read in Second Peter. Once we were not God's people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, and now we have received mercy. So to get these people to be God's people, we have to show them mercy. The same mercy that we've received. We could turn our attention to any of the numerous troubles uh, of our culture, because there are plenty. Um, But since today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is why I'm up here, and we're committed uh, not just to remember those lost and celebrate those born, but to commit ourselves to protect life, we're going to look at the practical ways in that extent that we can extend heaven's mercy from this doorway. So one of the biggest helps, way number one, um, is through prayer. I know prayer is the current, bless her heart, and, you know, oh, I'll pray for you. You know, I'm talking about on Facebook, and people get all upset. Um, It's very patronizing in our culture. But the problem is not saying, I'll pray for you. It's the people that say it and don't actually pray. It takes the power away from prayer when people say, I'll pray for you, and then don't do anything. Because then people start saying prayer is a do-nothing thing. Prayer is not a do-nothing thing. Prayer is asking the Lord of Heaven's armies to act. It's entreating the greatest power you know for help. It is asking Heaven to come meet Earth. Prayer can move mountains. It can make barren women have children, and it can make literal walls fall down. Prayer is extremely powerful. So first, we can pray. We can pray in our own quiet times daily. Um, And I have to mention some of the things that I'm going to mention are things that we do not yet do. There are not things that Faith Methodist Church currently does, but there are things that we could do and we should do, but... I am focused on one of these things, and we need other people focused on some of the others. And I will meet you there, and I'll be happy to help you. But Lindsay's not doing everything for all the babies. Um, We can go and pray in front of the abortion clinics in our area every month. That's one of the things that the American Life League suggests. 
They suggest showing up once a month at the abortion clinic and praying for the women that will go through those doors. Nothing else, just praying. Um, We can pray for the 35,000 babies as of last Sunday that have already been aborted in 2018. It's not even the end of the month, people. We can pray for the women that have had these abortions. For 92% of them, it was the, these babies were aborted by their choice, not health-related reasons for them or the baby of any kind. These women will be three times as likely to commit suicide as the rest of the population. 81% of them will experience mental trauma, in the, usually in the form of depression and anxiety, but also in the form of post-traumatic stress disorder. As I mentioned earlier, two out of, the, out of three women who abort before or after 12 weeks will experience post-traumatic stress disorder. These are very broken people that need our prayers. It's very easy to cast judgment, and I'm not going to tell you that what they did was right. It absolutely was not. Abortion is always wrong, and it is always evil. But if we spend all our time judging these women for what they have done, there's no way we can love them for who they are and where they are right now. Once we were a people without mercy, and now we have mercy. Second, we can participate in sidewalk counseling at abortion clinics in our area. It's not something that we do. At last count, there were 28 clinics in the Atlanta area. This is a really uh, hard to hard to figure out thing because so many of them shut down and change names and change locations to escape bad press and bad practices. Um, they basically have something go wrong, so they move down the street and change their name, and now there's something else. Um, a lot of them have names like your regular OBGYN would have because they're trying to escape the stigma because they, quite frankly, know what they're doing is wrong. Um, There are a few out there who don't, um, who are very vocal about what they do and consider it the right thing, and I think they need our prayers more than anybody. Um, So this number fluctuates. It isn't extremely stable. Um, There's a group called Sidewalk Advocates, and it's not the only group that there is, but they consider... Um, sidewalk counseling to be extremely effective. Uh, Just one group of sidewalk advocates has had 3,000 babies saved, 49 employees leave the industry, and 11 um, clinics shut down. And that's just one group. That's not like sidewalk counseling as a whole. Sidewalk counseling does take um, it does take education, it takes preparing, it takes um, some training because it's not something you want to just go out and do. Um, But It is something that we absolutely could do and something that should be done. And then third, uh, you can help us as we take this next step beyond just saving babies and helping the parents as they enter the crazy uh, phase of parenting with Faith Family Services. As I said before, um, the prayer at the abortion clinics, the sidewalk counseling, all that really can and should be an extension of our faith family services. Um, It's just we need people to step up and volunteer to organize those things and do those things. Um, So faith family services, we had one childbirth class this last year. Uh, During that class, we kind of realized that we needed to beef things up. We did have um, all of our advertising was on Facebook word of mouth, um, and so we needed to I've been working on my official childbirth education to kind of up the level of realness to people. Um, And I'll be finished with that in a couple months. Um, But we also need your prayer 
And then the, we'll be offering classes, more classes this coming year, and we'll need your prayer and help with that. Our biggest uh, problem this last year with our classes was childcare. Um, the people that, the young moms that were wanting to come and help had no one to watch their kids. So, you know, if you like babies, we have plenty of them. Uh, so there's also, we also have some techie-type opportunities. Um, right now Adam's running the website, but there's website, there's Facebook groups, there's Facebook pages, all those sorts of things that need to be run and taken care of if you're more techie and want a way to volunteer that's kind of behind the scenes. So that's where our Faith Family Services stands, and those are the things that you can do for life this year. So as priests, I implore you to come to God on behalf of your people, on behalf of your family, your friends, your neighbors, virtual community, coworkers, your nation, any person that is like you, your fellow man. Reach out from the doorway, drag them in. You you can look out on all the suffering and you can say, "Oh, I don't even know what to do." I'm sure you can think of at least one thing to do. I'm sure you can think of at least one way to extend some mercy to your fellow man, to extend some grace and love. We can't just look out on a world falling apart and burning and simply sit and do nothing. 